This is the Daily Planet Special News Bulletin. Lois and Clark is our jam. We're talking about Terry D and Superman. We'll cover it all, at least we'll do what we can. And now, it's time for the show. And welcome back to Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman. Um, we've got a very special interview today that I could not be more excited for. Um, if you listen to the show, you know how much I love today's guests um, for her performance on the show and uh, how big a thrill it is for me to welcome Miss Kay Callen herself to the podcast. How are you today, Kay? <laughs> I am so happy and grateful to be here the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the holiday vibe. This is yeah. the much better way to spend a Black Friday than run into stores. So right. thank you so much. Um, so obviously, uh, we'll, we'll get to the Lois and Clark of it all, but you've got quite a bit of a career here. We've got one of those pages on IMDb that I like to say is just endless. You just keep scrolling and you've just done so much work for so, so long. Um I, I have to imagine that acting was always the dream for you, but but how did it get started for you? What was it in fact the dream or did you fall into it? Where where'd you get the bug? It was the dream from my earliest memory as a little girl watching Betty Grable movies. <laughs> uh, I just thought, you know, she, there were, you don't know because you're too young, but Betty Grable movies, there were a bunch of them that were showbiz oriented of her getting in the business or being in the business or like that. And so I had seen, you know, all these movies of that. And, and of course, my idea of wanting to be in the business and doing what Betty was doing in those movies had nothing to do with what it's actually like <laughs> when you do it. But yeah. when you're five or whatever, and, you know, we went to the movies all the time. My older sister took me and we would go sometimes. And back in those days, rare, not as often as I guess it was before, there would be a movie and there would be like a stage show. I guess there was a little bit of vaudeville left over. And so okay. you, you would go and you would see a movie and then you would see the vaudeville. But then you could stay all day. You know, they wouldn't kick you out after a while. We would take lunches and we'd just be there all day. <laughs> and my sister, who has now passed, really should have been the actor because she was such a fan. She was like 10 years older than I. And our bedroom wall was literally wall to wall, eight by tens from movie magazines. And she would get the magazines and she would remove the staples so that she wouldn't hurt the pictures. And then they were just right next to each other. So if there was no wallpaper underneath, there were just all these eight by tens. And then she had orange crates that she had made into filing cabinets. And she would have a file that was Alan Ladd and another one that was Ann Southern and so forth. So uh, it always seemed like, you know, of course, no reality to it. You know, this was my, right. my dream. Uh, and I really, I, it was in my mind, it never occurred to me that anybody else in the family knew that I really secretly planned to be an actor. And I guess I was already like really old, when, like 40 or something. And I said something to my brother. He said, oh, we always knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. That's And, and you were, you were um, born and raised in Texas. Is that correct? Born and raised in Dallas and okay. was in, you know, uh, school plays from the time I was little enough to play baby Jesus in the Christmas where <laughs> my brother and sister were in school and so I was always in plays and in high school and then I went to college at North Texas University to be an actor and then while I was between my well I guess the end of my sophomore year in college 
I got a ride home. It was outside Dallas, you know, like 50, 30 miles. And I got a ride in with somebody because I needed to get home. And I was waiting at two. And he was doing a show at the Margot Jones Theater, which was a professional, well-renowned professional theater in Dallas Theater in the round. And I was sitting there waiting for my sister to come pick me up. And they were rehearsing. And Margot Jones, who was the director and whirlwind amazing person, looked over at me and she said, are you an actor? Somebody hadn't shown up. Are you an actor? And I said, yes. And she said, get up there. They, oh were, my doing, gosh. they were doing Inherit the Wind. And it was really, you know, be a townspeople, you know, be a chorus, basically. But I wasn't frightened or anything because I didn't know anything about the theater. And I knew that I was going back to school and I had to be in at 1050 every night in the dorm. <laughs> Uh, and so I went up there and I did it. And then uh, she said, you know, she wanted me to be in this show. And so I went back to school and I went to the dean of women to ask for permission and was sure she would say no. And she was like, no, this is a wonderful opportunity. And so anyway, uh, that's how I got started at Margo's and worked that summer. And then I was going back to school in the fall and the theater was dark in August, so I didn't have anything to do for August till September started, and it was too late to get a job. So I decided, I wonder if there are agents in Dallas, Texas. And so I went into the Yellow Pages, and sure enough, there were agents. <laughs> and there was this agency called the Molly O'Day Agency, and she handled like singers and stuff like that. And I had sung on the school, the the talent show at school at North Texas, and wanted to do musicals because, after all, Betty Grable. And sure. so um, I walked in in my little Easter dress and my my gloves and everything. And I said, hi, I'm a singer. And she said, uh, do you have do you have an accompanist? And I said, no. And I'd seen all these Betty Grable movies. At that point, they throw you out. And she, <laughs> said, she said, do you have do you have an accompanist? And I said, no. And I figured now she'll throw me out. And she said, just a minute. And she went down this, the hall and she came back with an accordion player. And so I sang, you made me love you. And I'm looking over four leaf clover. And oh my she gosh. Sent, she sent the accordion player away and said, what do you say to a hundred dollars a week at Shepherd Air Force Base, which was a giant <laughs> amount of money to me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I never expected it to get this far. I don't know whether my daddy would let me do that. And she said, well, you go back and speak to your father. And I didn't know it until many years later, she called him on the phone while I was on the way home and talk to him. And so he was wow. fine for me to do it. He didn't know from show business or college or anything else. So I went, it was hilarious. I went away, uh, traveled with the band as they did in Betty Grable movies. Sure. Uh, to Shepherd Air Force Base. <laughs> and, you know, I could really sing, but I, I really couldn't look at the audience. It was like kind of too embarrassing, you know? So here I am and I'm dressed up in my little prom dress and I'm sure I'm just yeah, and I'm sure these guys in the audience, I'm, I'm a little girl from Catholic school. My mother has died, you know, I'm very cloistered and whatever. And these guys are, I'm sure, having impure thoughts and I can't <laughs> look at them. It's just so, so, so anyway, at the end of three, two weeks, during which time school had started mm -hmm. and I wasn't wise enough in the ways of the world to know that I could go back to school and start late. Uh, they said, you know, you're done. And I went back to Dallas and it was too late to go to school, I thought. But before I had gone to Wichita Falls, the nun who was now the principal of the Catholic girls school that I had gone to had called me. She was the new principal. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. Okay. But since I had had professional experience um, as an actress, 
they would be able to get me an emergency teaching certificate if I would continue my education and take classes on the side and what I teach for them. And before I was going off to sing, I was like, oh, well, I'm going off to be a big star. You know? <laughs> and she was like, well, we'll hold it open and see what happens. And so I called her uh, when I got back and said, is the job still open? And she said, yes. And could you also teach uh, physical education, girls phys ed? And when I was in school, girls phys ed was somebody, some volunteer mother just was there and would throw you a ball. But I had had, I had had a uh, I had appropriate classes in college and even another high school I went to. And I, and I was a really good teacher. So I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So anyway, I started teaching in this my own the school I had graduated from this. The girls who were seniors that year had been freshmen when I was a senior. And I started teaching girls phys ed and acting speech and drama. And I just had the best time ever. I built a whole theater department. We did two full-length plays every year. We went to a, a, a short play contest down in San Antonio. And then I fielded a basketball team, a volleyball team, a tumbling team. I just, Incredible. it was so great. You know, yeah. it, was, it was, it was the first time that I ever got back what I put out. Yeah. You know, you really try hard and they go, Oh my God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so I just fell in love with them. And although I had planned to go to New York at the end of the year, uh, I, and I was also a big Catholic then. And I remember on Good Friday, my brother was in town and he was older and he was living this this life that I thought was life of sin, just living for himself. <laughs> and I said, you're just living for yourself. You're not helping people, blah, blah, blah. And by the end of the evening, I talked myself into staying because I really was doing lots of good at the school and changing things. Yeah. So I stayed and taught. And then in the meantime, I had met the boy who was teaching at the boys Catholic high school and he was helping me build sets and do lights and things. And ultimately we got married and had three kids. And so I didn't go to New York until that marriage broke up about 11 wow. years later. And then I went to New York, started all over, took my kids with me and we had an adventure. Incredible. That Well, first of all, like that teaching experience must have been enlightening for you as, as a young actor. Had you done any film work at that time? Well, there wasn't film happening in my life or, yeah. you know, this was just theater and that and my idea, because as a as a young person who wanted to act and who was planning on that as a career, I when I was in high school and this is interesting because I don't know. Do you know about my books that I've written? I do. Yes. OK, well, this is the preamble to my books. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I had in mind because I come from the Spencer Tracy School of Acting, I call it, because Spencer Tracy used to say, you just plant your feet and you say the words. You know? <laughs> and he never went to school. And it was like, I, I went to school because I was going to st studying acting and so forth. But I was not wise enough in the world, uh, even though I wouldn't have had the money to go anyway, to know that it really would have made a difference where you went to school. Sure. But for me, I was a first generation college person anyway. And so uh, I just, you know, went to school. And so um, so I figured I could act, but I had no idea how you would translate that into an actual job. Yeah. So I wrote, I wrote several letters to some of my MGM idols and they all wrote me back handwritten letters. Incredible. And I can't remember who the rest of them were, but I specifically remember Marge Champion. You probably don't know who she is. but That Marge, name I don't know. Yeah. Well, Marge and Gower Champion were star dancers for MGM and Gower Champion later became a very important Broadway director, okay. as did Marge ultimately. 
But anyway, this was back in those MGM days. And she wrote me and everybody who wrote me basically said the same thing. And they said, you should do everything you can in your own hometown, you know, be in, in plays and musicals, you know, sing for the Lions Club, you know, mm -hmm. just do anything you can to get up in front of people. And once you have done everything you can in your community, then go to New York and study with either Herbert Berghoff or the Neighborhood Playhouse. And okay. so, um, so I, you know, was mining when I didn't go to New York in particular, I mined Dallas. I found out how you did commercials in Dallas. It was a non-union town, but there were many film companies. And I was always kind of business oriented in the first place. And, you know, you would look in the phone book, like, like Molly O'Day, you would look in the phone book, you would see if they were seeing anybody, you know, you would make an appointment, you would go over and say, you know, what can I do for you? So anyway, I did those things. And then as a teacher, uh, I would call up the Dallas summer musicals or whatever theater things were in town. And I would say, hi, I'm a drama teacher. Could I bring my uh, students over and could we watch a dress rehearsal, the final dress rehearsal? Incredible. And yeah. they would let us, you know, as a person, I wouldn't have been able to get in. <laughs> sure. But as my class, <laughs> this altruistic thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it was wonderful. And I just loved my kids so much. But then, you know, it's just so interesting. I wish people, I don't know whether young people would be able to listen because you know how young people are, <laughs> but I wish somebody would connect the dots for young people about, you know, if you make this decision, this decision could happen and that decision could happen. Right. Because so here I was, now I was in love with my kids and there was this guy I was going out with who we were really just friends until I decided I was going to stay and then although he had, I, I didn't really care about him as a boyfriend, he was just a good friend. But then I wondered one day, he had never tried to kiss me. And I said, I know I don't want that, but I wonder why he hasn't. But and what's then, up? Yeah. And, and then when I announced that I was going to stay, then he did. And then I was madly in love. So <laughs> it was like, I guess we had been moving towards that place anyway. But what I didn't think of, because why would you? particularly in that day and time, because I was a big Catholic. So it didn't occur to me if somebody had said, so just hold on a minute. Uh, so you want to get married. You know, you can't use birth control. You know, you're a Catholic. That means you're going to have kids. You're <laughs> going to still be able to teach and be in love with your kids, which is right. the reason you aren't going to New York. You know, mm -hmm. you just you just have this one goal in front of you right now and you don't think of the ramifications of that. For instance, I was I was telling somebody the other day, I was in a movie one time, it was with Gabe Kaplan, it was a sports kind of movie. I can't remember the name of it right now. But in the movie, I was this stern English teacher and my student was the star basketball player and he was flunking. And so I wouldn't let him, I wouldn't let him play. But, and he wasn't good at taking exams, you know, on paper, but maybe sure. he talk through it. So he, we have this, he's having an exam orally and he passes the exam and it's like, fine, you can play. So, you know, that's, that's how I played the scene. It was like, okay, fine, you can play. So the director came over to me and he said, is that how you want to play that? And I'm like, yeah. It didn't, <laughs> to, it didn't occur to me to say, uh, what other possibilities would there be? Uh, and so I didn't know that. But then as I looked at it and as I got older and less green as an actor, I realized that if I had said, fine, you can play, but had kept a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. 
would have had to cut to me at various other times during the film. But I took myself out of the film because I didn't think down the line. Interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so and so it is with life. Um, so I've, um, really quickly, I, I had just uh, a question on your, uh, your first acting role here, which according to IMDB, which is famously wrong sometimes is route 66. Is that, is that correct? Does that sound about right? Well, it's my, it's my first professional acting job, not counting Margot Jones. Uh, when I was in high school, actually, uh, at LGC, we took, um, a short play down to San Antonio to a play contest. Okay. and won a prize or something. When we came back, the nun who had been uh, in charge of us and directed the play, she had been a, she was like a well-connected person. And she knew somebody over at WFAA, which was the ABC outlet, and they wanted to film it. It was very early in the days of any kind of television stuff. It was like 1953, maybe. Okay. Uh, and so, so they shot this little half hour play that we had done on television. So that was really my first time on television, but Route 66, yes, indeed. And it was, in fact, they were shooting in Dallas and I, I've just been researching a new edition of one of my books and I was reading about Reese Witherspoon and how she got her first start and she was in, where was she lived? In New Orleans or Tennessee or something. Yeah, in the South. And, so, yeah. and as a young girl, you know, she was, she wanted to be an actor and she saw in the paper that they were looking for a young girl, a Southern girl, blah, blah, blah. And she sent her stuff in. And so I was reading the paper and in the Dallas paper, it said they were looking for local actors, blah, blah, blah. And I called him up and I went down and I got the part. Amazing. And I guess part of that, that hustle that, that all the actors were telling you too, of just take advantage of everything that is available to you in at home before you go to New York. Exactly. But yeah. the other thing I want to say, since you had said hustle, is, you know, I just always thought everybody had the same amount of hustle, but mm. they really don't. And I would not have been able to understand anything about it, except as I've gotten older, I don't have that hustle anymore. And granted, I'm not hungry in the way I was before. Sure. But, but what I realize now is, you know, we talk about energy and you think about when you get older, well, maybe I'll walk slower or maybe I'll this, you know, something physical, but sure. it, there's a, there's psychic energy, which, which is the engine that sends you forward. And so psychic energy wanes as you get older. You wouldn't know it talking to you, to be honest. Well, no, but, but you would, if you really talked to me and said, what have you been doing lately? And have you finished X, Y, Z that you were mm. planning on doing this week? Uh, because it used to be, you know, I would decide, I would decide I want to make a skirt and I want to wear it tonight. And I would go in and I would sit down and I would make it and I would wear it tonight. Sure. And it's like, now I go in and I get afraid of putting in the waistband, which I put in like 400,000 waistbands <laughs> in my life. And it's like, every, it changes, you know, sure. you don't, you don't think you think your brain, well, it'll forget some things, but it just is a really different thing. The engine that, that sends everything forward is can't go a hundred miles an hour anymore. It can really only go 35 and it might sputter. <laughs> fair enough so so you put in the time then and and i mean at this point you've got this incredible career you you don't need the hustle as much right well yeah but what i want to say to people is when you're young you better do it mm. because you won't be able to later you won't be motivated in the same way and i remember back in the day a, a friend of mine Florence stanley and she used to just look at all the things I would do in a day. And I mean, I could do anything, 4,000 million things and save 45 people from a burning building. <laughs> but she would look at me and she would go, oh, my gosh, 
I don't know how you do all this. And now I look back on myself then and I go, oh my gosh, I don't know how I did that. Or else I'm making it up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So, well, a part of that too is at some point you did decide to make that move to New York and and, um, go after your career. Well, when I got divorced, we were living, we had moved to Oklahoma. My uh, husband was getting an advanced degree and the marriage fell apart there. And then mm-hmm. it was like, shall I stay in Norman? No. Well, am I going to go back to Dallas? Eh. Well, you may as well go to New York like you were going to do in the first place. And so I did that. Incredible. And was that just you and three kids going to New York? That was right. That was wow. Right. So what, what what was that like at the time? Like, did you go, was that a situation where you'd met people and people were able to help you out there right away? Or did you just go and just start knocking on doors and seeing what theaters or, or you know film groups you could get into? That's such a great question. No one has ever asked such a detailed question about that. And that's a really good question. So over uh, about three or four years, maybe three years before I got divorced, still before I never knew, ever knew I was going to get divorced. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we were, we had a summer in Ohio where my husband had a summer job and he had said, you know, if we, if I get this job and we go to Ohio, you can go see cousin Jim because cousin Jim was a struggling actor in New York. And so then when we got to Ohio, then sure enough, now it was time I could go see cousin Jim. So I went to see cousin Jim, who, uh, who really never worked very much as an actor, but did struggle forever. And so I went to town and I saw him and he, he said, you know, you get off the plane, you take the carry bus in, you get off at Grand Central Station, you get the subway up to 96th street, you know? And so I was just going, you know, winging it on my own. And I go up to cousin Jim's. And so I'm there for a few days with cousin Jim. And let me see, was this this time? Yeah, it must have been. And because as actors, you always carry your book and your reel with you. Of course, ready I, to go. I, I went and I, you know, saw the city and it was so exciting. And the day I was supposed to leave, I looked in showbiz, which was a, um, theatrical newspaper at the time and it had you know any kind of jobs that were going to be and it said that there was this uh commercial casting office that was looking for young wives and housewife types so I just got my reel and got my book and I walked into her office and I said hi I'm Kate Callen and I showed handed her my book and my reel and she said uh how long are you going to be in town and I looked at my watch and I said, well, another two hours. In those days, you didn't have to be at the airport three days ahead of time. Sure. I said, well, will you come back if I get some appointments for you? And I, and I don't know where I got all this but from. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to come back and spend two weeks to see two people. If you can get a bunch of stuff for me in a few days, you know, I'll come back. And so, so anyway, I went back to, to Ohio and then we went back to Oklahoma. And then she called and said, uh, I've got some things set up for you. So I went back to New York and she had gotten me five meetings with casting directors. And out of those five meetings, I ended up with maybe I got I had five meetings and I ended up with three auditions and I got two. Wow. Which is, wow. a, which is a record I have never equaled. Since. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, I had an idea that I would work. And I also, because of Dallas, I had done commercials in Dallas. Sure. So I had a commercial reel. So I was really something I had no idea, but I was very marketable for what I looked like at the time. And I was a fresh face in town that had professional experience. Yeah, that they could rely and, on, but also right. she's new and yeah. 
so I so I did those commercials and went back to Ohio. I went back to Oklahoma and I still did not know that I was going to get divorced. I didn't realize that my marriage was in as much trouble as it was. Mm. So time goes forward and now maybe it's the next Christmas or whatever. But anyway, ultimately my marriage breaks apart and I go to town and I find a place to live and uh, then ultimately bring the kids. But by this time, I did have somebody who was sending me out on commercials. By this time, my cousin Jim was gone, so I didn't really know anybody in town. Sure. Uh, but but it was, it was. I don't remember it as being hard, but it really was. I mean, it was horribly hard when I go back and think of it. I tend to be, you know, the queen of denial. <laughs> <laughs> Positivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really hard, uh, but I was. I was living my life again and I didn't have to ask if I could buy a lipstick or if I could go to the store for 10 minutes. And so as hard as all that was, it was, it was what I had always planned to do. I'd always planned to go to New York and become a New York actor and then go to California. And and ultimately that's how things worked out. Incredible. You, you mentioned there too, that like, you know, the first commercial work you're looking for housewife types and that type of thing. I've seen you talk in interviews and I think in, in your books as well about uh, knowing what you bring to acting, what you can bring to a role and that you, you knew that you were good at these motherly types. And obviously we'll get into the Lois and Clark of it all, but when did that realization come for you in your career? Was it just like getting commercial after commercial after thing uh, of being, you know, the mom at home or like when did that kind of sink in for you I don't think that was anything that I connected dots to and would have said you know as you said when I taught was it what was it like as an actor teaching did that solidify acting things it's like as you as you are as you are working you just notice you know re- come to a realization on an unconscious level mm-hmm. uh, and I I actually, from my, you know, there are, this is interesting. I don't know whether, I haven't talked to a bunch of people about this, but uh, in the way that um, the theatrical uh, prototypes are the juvenile, the leading man, the leading woman, and the the ingenue, Mm -hmm. that is the same thing in films. There's like the girl woman. Sally Field, no matter how old she gets, is still a girl woman. (laughs) Barney Weaver, no matter how old she was, was always a woman woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and Robert Redford was a boy man. And <laughs> yep. you know, really those kinds of things. And I was always like young for my age. So I was always a girl woman. And I think also because of, of, of unpleasant things that happened in my early life, I was afraid of becoming a woman. I was more likely to try and stay in this place where people wouldn't classify me as a woman and jump on top of me. And so um I just knew that. And also it never occurred to me. And I think I would have had a whole different career if it had occurred to me that I could have even been a leading woman. When I went to New York that first time and Nancy Fisher sent me out on auditions and said, you know, uh, she described me as a, a young character woman. And so then I decided I'm a young character woman. I'm not a young leading woman. And the difference really, really between character women and leading people is that leading men and women are have sex lives and nobody else does. Interesting. I'd never thought of it like that, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really true. Yeah. Um, were there were there roles um, you know, being classified as as a character woman, as a character actress at the time, um, that you, you know, at the time were were jealous of missing out on, or did you were you enjoying the roles that you were getting at the time? 
No, I just accepted which one I was. You mm. know, they had named me. It was part of being, um, I, I likened because so much of my early life was was co- connected to the Catholic Church because I went to Catholic school, taught in Catholic school. Um, my mother, you know, died early. The, the church had much more influence on me than, you know, other things might have, or my family having, you know, they were very religious too. So, uh, so I... I got the message, whether or not this was the message, that, and not everybody got it because other girls in my class were rebels, but I always really followed directions and was a good girl. I'm really still trying to break out of that. <laughs> <laughs> bit by bit, you know, I'm sure. Right. Um, so, uh, it, you know, you, you again, I look at your IMDb here and it just looks like you've been working for, for decades nonstop, like when... Did, was that your feeling in New York? What what made you and when did you shift to Los Angeles? Like what what was that like for you? Well, the goal had always been, you know, become a New York actor, go to Los Angeles. Because right. remember, I wanted to be Betty Grable. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I was steeped in the theater. That was my early experience. I studied at Herbert's. I studied with Herbert Berghoff. Uh, and so I that was my goal, but then ultimately I wanted to do movies. And there's no, at that time, there was no nighttime television in New York. There were only soaps. And I guessed oh, wow. it on soaps, but by the time they were getting ready to offer me uh, a, a, a contract on, on a soap, I was doing, I was supporting this on commercials, which left me a much freer lifestyle than sure. if I had been doing the other. So, um, so that was, and also, um, you know, I did my first film there with Peter Boyle. Uh, Joe, Joe, and and it put both of us in the system. Joe, um, Peter became a big star, and I became in the system, which was fabulous. It was all good. But I remember running into Peter on the street one day, and Peter saying, "You know, if you want to do movies, you really got to go to California. That's <laughs> just what you have to do." And I was supporting us on commercials, but I had I had gone from please God any job any job to where casting directors were saying, "You can't go up on local commercials anymore." You only do wow. national because if you do a local commercial for Blue Bonnet Margarine or, or some kind, not a not a, a big brand, right. you can't do this and this and this and this. So it wasn't taking as much time from my life as it used to because I wouldn't go on as many auditions because I didn't go on those things, you know, and I went on these things. Mm-hmm. So I remember trying to figure out what to do. And I I uh, went about it. I I would I would take actors to I took an actor to lunch to ask about People who somebody who did like made a lot of money um, on voiceovers, okay, on camera, and then people who made who worked on Broadway or worked in theater and didn't do other things. And everybody was really unhappy because it was like, <laughs> well, I you know, do voiceovers, but they won't let me do this, and well, I do this, but they won't let me do that. And so at the end of the day, they didn't give me any more information than I had when I started. But I I came to the conclusion, well. You know, I don't know uh, whether I would like making movies or television or not. Uh, and maybe I'll go out there and I will not get work, but I'll enjoy pursuing it. Sure. Or I'll go out there and get work, but I don't enjoy it. And I'll try it. And then I can always go back to teaching because I did go back to school ultimately and got my degree. So I, I wasn't sure, you know, and I... I just talk to young people all the time who don't know what they want to do. I don't want this job. I don't want that job. Go do that job. And then you'll know you don't want to do it. And figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. You have to do your research and people can't tell you research. You have to do research. And so um, 
I was I was always going to go to uh, California, but I had decided that I wouldn't go till my kids were out of school okay. because I didn't want to uproot them. Sure. And so uh, the summer of uh, 76, I came out. It was the first time. I don't know how it happened to be that summer, but I went out that in 76 to see what it was like. And while I was here, the, uh, the first job I went up for, I got for Norman Lear on one day at a time. It was a three show arc on one day at a time. Yep. And so, and I did that, which you know took a lot of the time that I was here. And then I was really unhappy. And I thought, well, I'm, I went home early. And then as I was coming in on the Kerry bus in New York, I was like, oh, I see. I was trying to make the decision to move. That's what was going on. So hmm. I went on in and I asked my daughters, I said, I'm prepared to not move till you're out of school. Kelly was going into her senior year and Christy was in junior high. And I said, but, you know, L.A. is really cool. And, <laughs> and, and they said, oh, sure, let's go have an adventure. And years later, they have said to me, well, what else were we going to say? <laughs> A lot of things. But anyway, they said yes. And so we, um, I made the decision. I went, came back out to L.A., found a place to live, came back home, uh, had targeted August, uh, October 1 for us to move. So the kids did not go back to school because they were going to okay. start out here. And we started packing. And then I got a Broadway show. Oh, you're kidding. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I, if I weren't a mother, I could do it. But I right. can't. Oh, my God. And so um, I, I didn't do it. And we came on out here. And it, for years, I've had in my mind, you know, oh, but if I stayed and done them, that Broadway show. But it had never occurred to me. To me to research the show and yeah. see what happened to it. And so a couple of years ago, I went on because I couldn't remember the name of it, but I, was I went just gonna on ask, I, yeah. Okay. IBB, and I looked up because I knew Hans Conried and Hans Conried was the star. And I found the show and I found the got my part and I found it opened and closed in one day. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Hey, I love that it was no huge loss to you, but also I love that in in however long you were in New York, by the time you're leaving, you're turning down Broadway shows to go follow me on the dream. Like that, <laughs> well, that's a success story. It wasn't exactly that, but you know, it's so important to be chosen. You know, re a couple of times recently, I got a job and then for some reason couldn't do it. But it's like as an actor and particularly for me that you know i always ask the actors when i have them in a seminar or something why do you want to be an actor and they always go oh i just have to be an actor i just feel it blah 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 and if you had asked me in those days i don't know what i would have said but as mm -hmm. i look back what i know is the three reasons that i became an actor the three needs that it fulfills okay. is becoming visible because i grew up invisible being sure. chosen and getting a family because I, my family was so splintered and you get a, you get a really close family instantly when you're working on a project, when you're on a show or something. Yeah. That makes sense. Or anything for the shortest amount of time. Amazing. So, I've never heard someone distill it like that, but that, that's really well, interesting. Most people don't yeah. even think about it that way because yeah. it's always like, Oh, it's a calling or yeah. And, it, and maybe it is a calling, <laughs> but I, and I've, and I've said in my books that I really think having a crappy childhood helps. <laughs> it, gives you, it gives you it gives you the drive really sure. when you come from I, if you come from a background of real or imagined rejection mm -hmm. that gives you a very strong need to be accepted and you are used to being rejected you know yeah. how to handle that and so I a regular person would never put up with it it's so painful <laughs> 
it's really painful. You no, know, I get you. And, and there's job. that that validation of it too, that like, no, see, I was worth being being seen or whatever it was. Yeah, except no, it doesn't really help. Because oh, no? for instance, for instance when, when I'm little, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to become some famous and then they're going to really want to be my friend. Nah, 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 and then. But in <laughs> fact, once you become visible, you can really smell the difference in, the, in how people are reacting to you and whether mm. they're just, they just want to be next to somebody who's famous. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with the persona that they have seen on television. Or right. On. And so, no, and it's like uh, Rob Reiner talked about, um, I don't know how much money it was, a million dollars, let's say. He, he dreamed as he was growing up, if I, if I only made a million dollars, you know, that would be, then I would be fixed. And it was like, he made a million dollars and he said, I was just the same person I was the day before with the same problems, with the same whatever. And so if you get your dream and you get to do with it, maybe you become more balanced, you know, as you've grown up. And you're not as needy and so forth as you were. And yep. you'll just stay in the business anyway. Or maybe if you're not that needy, you'll go live a life that is more satisfying in the fact that you get back what whatever you put out. Yeah. Which is not how it is in show business. <laughs> no, I can't imagine it is. Um, that's and um, uh, First of all, that's awesome. I truly, I never heard that distilled like that, but that's really interesting. Okay. Um, uh, during all this time, though, you're you're acting, you're working, you moved to L.A. And is this around when you start writing books as well? Like, what was it kind of did that come from uh, a place where you wanted to help and pay it forward <laughs> or from from years of kind of like thinking and, and distilling, you know, your need to act into in like like you just did? Like, where did that start for you, the book writing? Well, I have two answers for that. Sure. One is my answer and one is my kid's answer. <laughs> okay. My kids say, um, well, I'll say my answer first. I will say that my son was getting a PhD and my daughters have a, had a band and were producing, writing and producing records and things like that. And so I decide, which is a PhD is given for independent thought and work. And I, and which is what my son was getting and basically what my kids were doing. I decided I would give myself a PhD. And I had always wondered if every agent in the world wanted you, how would you decide? Mm, because okay. when I did Joe and got in the system and I was working freelance at that point, a lot of agents wanted me, but I had no idea how to choose. Yeah, I only knew about, you know, agents that my friends had and the others were just names to me, except like William Morris or something like that. And they sure. were and so I really was interested in this answer. And so I decided this was going to be my own PhD. I was going to write a book. If people were interested, fine. If they weren't, fine. But this is just something I wanted to know about. Now, my kids think it, think it came from unemployment. <laughs> so it's probably a combination. Of sure. The, but once I started, uh, actually, once I interviewed the first agent, I had to go forward and make a book because you you can't take someone's time like that and then not come out with something. And it was very scary calling up all those agents. It was just as though you're you're an actor just looking for a job because not every agent in the world had ever heard of me. Oh, you know, yeah. So and they don't really need any publicity. They've already got 5,000 actors that they're not interested in, you know, trying to get <laughs> their office. So was that first book the New York agent book? No, the first book was a Excuse book me. called uh, The Actor's Workbook. 
Okay. Which ultimately, the second edition of that became the LA agent book because mm-hmm. when I wrote that first one, it really just had to do with LA agents. And, and so getting that published, I had friends who knew people in publishing and they would get it over to them and I would always get great reviews, but they would say no. And so um, my friend said, well, what should she do? And they said, well, it's too small a niche for us, but this is really a great book. She should publish it herself. And I was so excited to hear that because I had all this information that was getting cold every day, you know? Sure. So then publishing your own book is really just about getting it printed and then getting, I didn't understand, I either didn't understand about distributors at the time or that wasn't on my menu, but I I published it. I got, I printed it. And then I went to um, Samuel French here and Larry Edmonds here and they bought it on spec and I went to New York and I, sold it to them on spec and then really in like two or three weeks they all called back and wanted more books and then the new york agent of the new york the drama bookshop in new york said well where's the new york book we want we want a book about new york so i'm like oh okay so i went to new york and spent a month interviewing the new york agents and then i wrote the new york agent book and then the next other book became the la agent book and by that time Samuel French was distributing for me and they said, we want a book we can sell all over the world. And so then I wrote how to sell yourself as an actor. Okay. And then after that, the writer said, where's our book? And the director said, where's our book? <laughs> so I did that. And then finally I said, you know, I'm really an actor and I, this is it. Uh, but then I would update them, you know, every couple of years, I would do a new edition of the New York or a new edition of all these. And I did that pretty regularly for a while, but then uh, about four years ago, I did new editions of the New York and the new LA and, and LA, but I hadn't updated the script writers or the directors and still haven't. Uh, mm. But then now uh, I've just done uh, a, a, an actual publisher came to me and is publishing me now and want and wanted a new edition of how to sell yourself. So that's in the final stages. Incredible. Congratulations. That's so cool that that project just kind of keeps giving to you and, and to readers. That's awesome. Well, it really, it makes me so happy. There's really, unless you're, <clears throat> unless you're some, all of a sudden I can't think of some best-selling author, Grisham, sure. unless you're somebody like that, there's really no money in books. There's mm-hmm. just not, but it has meant so much to me when someone comes up to me, I was working on, um, I can't remember the actress's name, lead on um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine earlier this year. And she said, are you the one who wrote those books? And I said, yes. And she's Stephanie, Stephanie. And uh-huh. she said, I got my first job because of what you said in your book. Incredible. People come up and say that to me. And that means even more to me than complimenting my work as an actor, because I just made this up from nothing. You know, there's a lot yeah. of books like this now, but there weren't any at the time. No, absolutely. And, and it's more it's more direct that you're helping people with that, too. Like That's, yeah, it's, that's it's really incredible. It's a continuation incredible. of my teaching, really. Yeah you know? Yeah. And, and it means so much to me. That's, that's so cool. Okay. Um, all right. So Lois and Clark's podcast, do you mind if we talk a little Lois? I guess Clark we'll here? have to do that. I <laughs> guess we'll have to do that at one yeah. point. Um, so the, um, first of all, I, I, I want you to know how excited I was that you were going to be here, but I also told some of the listeners that you were coming and every single person was ecstatic that you were that you were going to be here. So just know that you are being listened to by fans that oh, love you. and adore your performance. As and Martha thank Kemp. you fans. Thank you fans so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. I got to work because of you. 
Yes. Um, so before before the show came around or anything, what was this is just a very broad question. What was your concept of Superman or, or the Kents in general? Had you seen the shows before? Any kids like comics, you know, that type of thing? Well, you know, I'm so old that there were no shows to see. You know, it was radio back in the day sure. and, and the comic strip. And I don't remember much about it, but I do know my first cat was named Lois Lane. Adorable. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, so that was my, and when I auditioned for the show, um, I had the, I was in a dilemma. It was like, on the one hand, it seems like you think of Martha Kent and she's got on a little flowered blouse and she's like, you know, looks like Aunt Jenny really. Yeah. But then when I read the script, this, this scene was not in the pilot because we ran out of money and we couldn't shoot it, but they did teach me how to weld originally in the in the I was discovered Martha was discovered welding you you come up and you see this person in the welder's cap and you know whatever and and I'm welding and then I guess I don't know whether Clark has come I can't remember but you know you put it back and you see that it's me but anyway so I saw that and I thought that is not the little little lady in the flowered shirt right and so I I wore um I wore a red turtleneck t-shirt and my sweatpants and went in and I was I was terrified, you know, because every every other woman in the room had on that little blouse. Sure, totally. <laughs> it looked like they're casting um, but, little houses. But Deborah Joy Levine, I have heard her be interviewed, and she said when she saw the outfit that that was just it. She knew that I got which one it was. That's amazing. Well, I I had that question for you because I've I've heard that interview from Deborah too. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if if. Um, where that kind of instinct came from of just wanting to make her uh, modern or if it was in the script. But I, I, you know, there's a brief scene that's in the pilot where you're showing off your latest metalwork to Clark. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, I didn't um, know that. That's incredible. Let me see what was the other thing I wanted to say about. Well, the other thing is, you know, the reason Martha Kent was so, it was, it was a fit for me. It really was fit me like a glove because, well, first of all, I learned to meld, but I build and I sew and I actually could have made his costume from all the stuff I got <laughs> in my sewing room. Not as well. But in other words, uh, I just really did identify, you know, it, it's very lucky in an actor's career where you get something that just really does fit your energy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and that kind of leads me to my next question. It is it's an interesting show to, uh, you know, I watch it as a kid and I, I'm rewatching it now a little bit later in my life and it, the the tones of it are are so interesting to me because at one moment it's goofy and then either you know Clark goes back to Smallville and talks to the Kents or Lois and Clark have a scene and I'm like the the, the emotional truth of it is is there and that is very still very compelling to me so was it a challenge for you at the time to kind of balance the cartoonish you know bigger than life situations with the emotional realities of the script well, or was, I, I was that easier never, I was your... never in the cartoonish part you know ours was were always the grounded places and what I will say is um that we really felt the lack of Deborah Joy when she left mm, in what way well because she was the heart and soul of the whole series and yeah. uh my understanding of why she left was that they just wanted shows that had to, had adventure and stunt casting, you know, big names. Yeah. They were not interested in that emotional grounding that you're talking about. I mean, was, was that tough as an actor at the time to know that, that that kind of voice on the series that understood, you know, your characters was 
Well, I don't think I don't think I was far enough along in my development as an actor and as a person mm -hmm. to really understand all of that. Uh, I knew that we missed her. I knew that Eddie and I, you know, they had contracts with us and they had to use us. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. And actually, in the pilot, Eddie and I were just guests in the pilot. But when they showed that clip, when they when ABC or whoever it was, I guess it was ABC, ABC was yeah. showing around. Uh, their their reel of you know Lois and Clark for distributors you know for the people around the country they had the scene in there where I make his his costume yep which was wonderful thing and then they decided that they would add us to the show uh, for seven of thirteen episodes okay. so so that's how we were involved and I think when Deborah Joy left they would have been happy to get rid of us because they really just wanted to write for a stunt casting and for adventure. That was where right. their heads were. The, the Superman angle of the show, for lack Superman of a better angle. word. And the other yeah. thing was uh, what led to our demise, really. Uh, they had told the writers, you can do anything you want to, but you can't get them married. And so right. then the writers got this very clever idea for the clone wedding. Right. And then what happened was it went on a little too long. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then unfortunately, when you know, we got Lois back. Lois didn't remember anything about Clark. Right. And, and and then the fans were like, do we have to go through this all over? <laughs> and they just started turning off their television sets. You know, our our, our ratings dropped precipitously. Yeah, no, it's um, it's something I was tracking. You see right around the wedding, it is a ratings high for the series. And then it's just in that plot line. That by the, the time, end. Yeah, that by the, the time end. she doesn't have amnesia anymore, you've lost six or seven million viewers a week and and it just keeps plummeting. That's interesting. All right. I wasn't going to ask you about that, but um, what, do you have any knowledge of, of where that decision came from to, to expand that storyline? Because uh, I suspect that storyline was as long as it was when they conceived of it. They just stumbled in how long they kept it going. If yeah. they'd gone back maybe the second episode after that, to business as usual and back where they had been, maybe people would have come back on. But when you start being too tricky, and certainly as I, as a writer, if I had been writing that, I might've just been able to be in the present and not think about this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's just a few science fiction writers who can go, this leads to this, this leads to this, this leads to this. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, okay, so that's interesting that you feel like um, they would have been just as happy to get rid of the Kents because it's, it, it is one of the few interpretations of the Superman you know, story, the Lois and Clark story, where the Kents are around throughout the entirety of the series. And, and it, I think it's beloved uh, in part because of that, because there is always that, that family element there. So I'm, I'm just so happy that that wasn't the case. But um, I'm, I'm thinking, honestly, how, how truly authentic it feels um, just to compliment your work Oh, um, amongst this this big cartoonish show. Um, had you worked with any of the folks on the show? I mean, obviously we had Peter Boyle as a guest star for a few episodes, but I don't think you're in any scenes. No, I him. didn't have any scenes with anybody that I had known before. Mm. I'm trying to remember who the who the guy was that my kids were so excited about who played a bad guy. And I seems like I wrote something on his back or I can't remember oh. who it was, but my kids were very excited about that. Okay. But one of the things I wanted to say in the development of the show, 
something that affected, I think, the Kents. And it's just my idea thinking, I think they would have been happy to get rid of us. Sure. But the earthquake played a part because the oh, earthquake really? and it had it evidently destroyed our house, the Kent's house. Oh, and wow. so then we they didn't have the option of shooting there anymore. So then any of our stories had to be that we had come to town. That does does start happening a lot more. All yeah. of a sudden, you're spending a lot uh, so, on airfare to surprise yeah, so Clark. That, yeah. So that was, uh, or else Clark flew us in. Yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, I think that was also a thing. But I do think since their focus was on big adventures, uh, you know, knockdown dragouts and stunt casting with big stars as that, I think, you know, that it was always just, oh, we got to do something for Kay and Eddie. You know, we got to get them in seven episodes. What can we do? You know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, you, you've mentioned Eddie a few times. He was honestly the one that I was wondering if you'd, you'd crossed paths before, because yeah, again, I, I'm an, I'm an only child watching the show. I'm, I'm very close with my parents. Uh, I see how they interact and I see that translated um, almost verbatim on screen with, with you and Eddie. So uh, was that just trust that you two had as actors from the start of the pilot? Like, was that always a, a, a fun working relationship for you? Well, the thing was that Eddie and I had the same agent. Okay. And so, and we were both so excited. It's the first time we'd ever been regulars on anything. And we had our own our dressing rooms and everything. It was like, oh my God, this is exciting. <laughs> yes, this is exciting. And so we were really kind of joined at the hip, you know, certainly for those, for the first year or so. Yeah, uh, but I I didn't stand. Eddie's gone now. He passed a, a few years ago, and he was in I think very bad health for the last several years of his life. Um, but our, we would pat, cross paths from time to time. But we were not close, other than on the set, you know, mm. during or whatever. Or we'd see each other at some Lois and Clark reunion or something. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so when I mentioned to some listeners that uh, you were coming on. Um, and asked about favorite moments. Uh, a, a, a lot came up and, and not even like my picks. Uh, uh, people point out there's a Christmas episode where you pull Dean by the ear and you're scolding him from for being bad or like naughty at the Daily Planet. Um, there are a few others like that. Do you have any memorable either favorite moments um, working on the show or um, just being in a scene with someone in particular? Well, most of my scenes were either with Eddie and and Dean or Terry. Yeah. You know, I mostly, I'm probably, those were the only scenes because first of all, usually we, we were at the farmhouse when the farmhouse was still intact. And then we'd be at his apartment when we were in the city. Right. Uh, and so those were the only people, except for that guy. I can't remember who he was. Maybe he played the devil or something. I just. Oh, man. I wish I, I, I wish uh, I could think was, of it. I, I know you got up. kidnapped maybe a, a maybe few times. Maybe a rock star person. A rock star person. Oh, um, um, Roger Daltrey. Yes. Possibly yes, from The Who. Yes. yes. So I got to play with him. So yep. I got to play with him and that was fun. Um, but um, mostly I just remember from the get go a feeling so close with Dean and that we had a really nice relationship. Um, and also watching the change in Dean and Terry when we started, they were, and when we started, they were just, you know, working actors, mm -hmm. you know, who had done very well. And K Terry had already had another series that hadn't, uh, hadn't gone for Norman Lear called maybe Sunday Dinner okay. or something. And then she done a lot of stuff. She did the Seinfeld thing. I think that, right. was, maybe that was after, I don't know. But anyway, um, 
Dean and I, I felt, I felt really close to, and then Terry was really nice too. And I remember, you know, she invited me to her baby shower and various things. So, so they're really the only people I got close to because they're the only people I got to work with. Sure. Sure. With the, but I, yeah. but I really appreciate it. I have not seen or crossed paths with either of them since then. I used to the Joann's near where I live, um, Terry evidently frequents and there's someone <laughs> there who would say Terry was in and blah, blah, blah. But I haven't crossed paths with either of them since then. I, I did see Terry, you know, she uh, played in, um, oh God, she went on stage after the show. What was it? Uh, Cabaret. 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 Yeah. yeah. So I went to see her in Cabaret and went to see her backstage and all that. And, and it was, I liked keeping up with her. I'm sorry we're not in touch anymore. Mm, I, I, uh, I'm a human huge musical fan. I've, I've looked online and tried to find recordings of her and that but I've, I've uh, never found that. That's very exists. cool. Nothing yeah. I don't, exists, I don't think it? much was because it was it a tour. It didn't, or two, run. I think. it didn't run very long. And I yeah. think I'm not sure it might've been a tour. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a tour. Interesting. So um, at the time too, during the show and afterward, like the, you know, the, the show's fans are, are loving and passionate, but a, a very vocal bunch. Um, what, what were your interactions like? with the fans of the show at the time, that must've been the first uh, type of uh, show that you were on that had such a, a built-in giant audience just through the fact that it was Superman. Is that fair to say? Well, here's what I will say. There used to be on Sunday nights, we would interact with, no, we wouldn't interact with them to start with. We would get after Sunday night because the friends of Lois and Clark would yep. meet and online and then they would talk back and forth about it. And so then uh, Amy, I can't remember her last name right now, who was the ABC PR person said, you know, we want you all to interact with them online. And I was the only person who was already online uh, okay. because, um, because my son's a big tech guy. And, you know, so I had that. And, and you had to be on, you had to be on AOL for okay. some reason. And at that time I was on something else. And I said, well, I'm not getting a whole new server for that. And they said, oh, well, we'll take care of that. So then we started interacting with those folks, uh, with the F-O-L-K-S. Yes, right? the folks, yes. Uh, and so that was really fun. And certainly the first time I'd had any experience doing that and probably the beginning of any of those kind of interactive groups. And then those, those people, such rabid fans and so organized and such a family of themselves that they then... I don't know whether every year, but from year to year, from time to time, they would come out here and have a little like Lois and Clark convention of their own. And Eddie and I, I think, went every time they asked us. I don't know about Dean and Terry. They probably were too busy and doing other bigger things. Yeah, I don't think they did. But I know I know you and Eddie, I was going to ask you about that. But that that's just awesome that you you were able to um, that you were willing to give back to to fans at the time oh, and and, and you still do your back it wasn't like it wasn't like willing to get back it was like oh this is so much fun to talk to these people <laughs> oh that's sweet that's very yeah. nice um so you've you've had amazing jobs since then um i was a huge carnival fan i loved you as eleanor on that i was a huge veep fan i got very excited when you showed up <laughs> in there um knives out was huge but would you say that you still get the most recognition through Lois and Clark, or has that has that shifted since then? Uh, well, um, I get, you know, usually people come out and they go, oh, you look familiar, you know, what have you done? <laughs> Which is always a terrible thing. I usually just say, 
here's how you spell my name. Go on to IMDb. Figure it out. I'll start mentioning shows and they'll go, no, no, no. (laughs) I think I've never worked. Uh, So, but I think, you know, and particularly people of a certain age who were kids, you know, when they watch that. Yeah. Uh, So that is certainly um, something that people recognize me from. Another iconic show uh, that another whole food group of people remember is an important episode of All in the Family. Oh, okay. uh, that I was on. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'm familiar with your episode, though. Well, it, it was called Cousin Liz, and it was a, a big, uh, big thing at the time. It was Norman's. I don't know you're young or younger. You probably don't know who Anita Bryant was, but she was a, um, a singer and spokesman for Orange Juice at the time. Very powerful, you know, voice in the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was... Um, leading a crusade, very conservative crusade that gay people should not be school teachers. Got you. And okay. So, and so All in the Family had an episode that dealt with that. And so it was this fabulous episode. You can see it right now on YouTube. Uh, it's called Cousin Liz. And it, it dealt with Edith's cousin Liz, who had died, <clears throat> who was an old maid school teacher. Mm-hmm. And the first act is Edith and Archie talking about cousin Liz and how they had been friends and how Arthur Archie always thought she was, you know, he was kind of interested in her or something or other. And then the second act is at the wake at, at her home, which she had shared with cousin, with Veronica. Got you. And so then ultimately it comes out that they had had this relationship and then, and then Edith had the, the debate on this side and Archie had the debate on this side and then how it turned out. And I've had people stop me all over the world, young men who said, you know, I was eight when I saw that and I knew I was gay Mm. and I knew that it wasn't okay. And my father just hated gay people. But after he saw that episode, he said, oh, I guess they're people, too. Incredible. It's really a good show. You should take a look at it. I I feel terrible that I missed it, but I could be watching that tonight for sure. That's (laughs) it's only like 22 minutes or something. Oh, yeah. I did all in the family, too. It, It goes down easy. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that, but excited to look back at that yeah, for sure. sure. Um, well, Kate, thank you so wait, much. Wait, we haven't talked about Metropolis. Oh my God. Thank you very much. That wasn't You're in welcome. my notes here. So going back to the Lois and Clark fans, just very briefly, you've made, uh, and we talked briefly before we started recording here, you've made a pilgrimage that I've always wanted to make. Uh, and I don't even know how many times you've gone, but what were your experiences like in Metropolis, Illinois? Well, we have to, first of all, tell people who don't know about it, that Metropolis, there is a Metropolis, it is in Illinois, and for at least, I think, 25 years, they have been having like a, basically a Lois and Clark convention every summer. Right. Uh, where the Superfest, I think. All, yeah, not Lois and Clark, Superman. It's yeah. all iterations of Superman, Supergirl, you know, Smallville, Smallville. whatever, and there's a, there's a Superman museum, and actually the whole town looks like a movie set. And there's this giant, I don't know if you look at my Facebook page, but I I put a picture on there from when I was there this summer. There is this giant billboard of Superman and I'm just imposing in front of it, you know, as a little matchstick. But anyway, (laughs) there is this adorable place that is all things Superman. And I, I think I, maybe the first time I heard about it was in 2020, I was supposed to go, but it was the pandemic. And so this year, you know, they asked me to come uh, with two other uh, people from the, the Superman, you know, empire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I went and it was just the best. And people come 
and they, you know, they get pictures and, and they take pictures with you and they, and then you autograph them and stuff like that. Or they bring things that they have that they, cause they're being charged for, you know, autographs and for sure. pictures and so forth, but they bring things that they already have. Like somebody will come and bring like a giant t-shirt that already has, um, uh, John Shay's uh, autograph <laughs> on it, or Dean's autograph, or Terry's, because they've taken them all over the world to different places where people were. Yep. And it's so exciting to talk to these people who know everything about the show, and some of them come in costume, and it's just it's the most fun ever. And if you have a chance to go, really should. I, I would love to go. <laughs> I so badly want to go for one of those Superman conventions. I've got a big print from one of the Daily Planet uh, issues from the show that has Dean's signature. And uh, I hope to be at the other end of a table with you one day and get a signature on that. Oh, that would be so. thrilling. So. Um, but um, any anything, I mean, you're, you're working constantly still, I'm sure I should tell you, one of my friends works in casting, doesn't know Lois and Clark at all. But I mentioned I had an interview this week and she's like, who with? Kay Callen. Oh my God, we love her. We, we always bring her in. So, so please know that you are... Uh, yeah, uh, well loved in the industry. Are, are anything um, exciting coming out for you right well, now? We're actually, working on the book, year, obviously. This year has been a really interesting year um, because it's still recovering and yeah. pandemic and stuff. And I did do a Brooklyn Nine Nine, and then I did a short film. This was I've done two short films recently. Uh, the first one was for oh, and then I did a full length film. I forgot about that. Um, the first one was for a young man's senior thesis at AFI. Oh, cool. And so what was really interesting about this is that this young man, um, as a senior in high school, did a short film to get into AFI. And uh -huh. AFI does not take you from high school. You have to have had other stuff. But he not only got into AFI, but he sold that short film. Wow. So I got to do his short film. And his short film that he sold has been developed and is now going to be a feature and I'm going to work on that in March you know incredible all things yeah but but then I did a two-character play about four years ago at the Victory Theater over in Burbank okay and so uh and it was it was it was another probably the only other part I've ever done that just really had my name on it mm -hmm. because it was it was from Texas and it was who I would have been if I stayed in Texas. I mean, mm. I just I just knew every part of this. But anyway, we did it as a, it was a play. And then uh, somebody decided, some young filmmaker decided he wanted to do to redo it as a film. And so we uh, rehearsed and shot this film. And it's it's interesting because I think they they originally thought they would do it all as one shot. Oh but wow! Then, but but it was handheld and nobody's hand can hold something for, for all that, that time without yeah. it falling off. So I think there's only either three or four cuts in the whole piece. Uh, but anyway, they've uh -huh. been uh, they've sent that out to to a few tiny tiny little festivals where it's done very well and gotten some you know awards for the film and for the actors and so forth. So that's exciting. That's and what, thrilling. What yeah. will happen of that? Um, you know, I don't know. And then I did another short film just a couple of weeks ago in New York. And, and I don't know, you know, whoever sees short films, but anyway, <laughs> it's been, it's been really, really gratifying. And, and then as you say, working on the book as well. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of that? Uh, the, you know, the play to film that you were talking about with the, uh, uh, pie in the sky. If you look at IMDb, it's, okay. it's listed on IMDb I, as, I, as well as the short film, which is called Shedding Angels. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The, pie in the sky sounds very interesting. I'll look out for that for sure. Yeah, it was such a great. It was. It was. 
I didn't originally want to do it because it's a slice. And I really, as a viewer and as an actor, I like to do a narrative. Mm-hmm. I just really didn't know what you do with a slice. Sure. <laughs> uh, but what was wonderful about it was it's a play that takes place, you know, uh, all in one span of time. And in the beginning of the play, I'm making an apple pie or teaching my daughter to make this apple pie. And at the end of the play, <clears throat> we actually made it on stage and put it in the oven on stage and it cooked on stage. And by wow. the end of the play, it was done. And at the end of the play, people in the audience got a little bite of pie. Oh, that's so cool. That's so great. But if you didn't like the thing, it didn't matter. You got pie. At least you got some pie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good piece of pie. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time today on right after a holiday like this. I was so excited for this. The listeners will be so excited to hear from you. I I just can't thank you enough for. Oh, it was really a treat, Matt. I enjoyed meeting you and hope our paths will cross in person. Yes. Yeah. I got to get your signature on that Daily Planet someday for sure. All right. Well, maybe we'll see each other in Metropolis at that. Yeah, absolutely. Just let me know. Well, that was a dream come true. Um, I, I I don't even know what to say at this point, besides just, again, a huge thanks to Kay Callen for taking so much time to to speak with me. Uh, listeners don't know this, but there was some, we had some tech problems in the beginning of the day, and uh, it's also, we're recording this on Black Friday right after Thanksgiving, but Kay was so, so generous with her time. I, I just can't thank her enough for for take an hour or so to sit here and and talk about her career in Metropolis and and share with the fans uh, like it sounds like she's been doing for quite a while between conventions and the books and just just an incredible lady I felt so stupid I didn't know that all in the family episode by the way but truly watching that tonight I can't wait to see it um, so folks that, that I hope you enjoyed that I, I don't know how to top that interview wise we're gonna have to get like Siegel and Schuster back from the dead to talk about creating Superman or something to top that but that was uh it's a high bar that's been reached now but we'll we'll still continue to try to get some some creatives from the show to talk about their time uh in the meanwhile gonna have a few more little specials like this no interviews but just some fun stuff between now and the start of season four I also wanted to say I've gotten a lot of messages from people uh, that have been interested in coming on the show and guesting, um, which is a totally valid way to get onto the show. Frankly, uh, that's that's how you know I got to know Lorianne Collins and Christine forever ago. The the list of of nerds that have come on this podcast because we became internet friends is is long, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Um, but if uh, if you are interested in guesting on the show for the final season, please know that there is a way to do that. You can email. Lois and Clark at gmail.com between now and the new year uh, with just a little quick, I don't know, 30 second minute long audio file of you introducing yourself and talking about something you love about the show. It can be a specific episode, a character, or just a performance where like, you know, Kate Callen looked at Dean Kane just that perfect way where you knew she was a mom and that's why you loved the show. You know, whatever it is, please, um, if you're interested, send that audio file into the Gmail just to give me a sense of who you are on microphone and uh, and what you like about the series and what you want to talk about. Um, so yeah, between now and the new year, please 
send those uh, quick little audio files to loisandclarked at gmail.com, L-O-I-S-A-N-D, C-L-A-R-K-D at Gmail. Uh, and hopefully we'll be in touch from there. Until then, I hope everybody really enjoys the specials that we've got coming up soon and are looking forward to season four. So, for Lois and Clark, I've been Matt Truex. That was Kay Callen. Folk off, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.